Hello and welcome to this episode of Across the Bifrost, the Mighty Thor podcast where we explore the world of Marvel's Mighty Thor. I am your host, Ryan Doze, and today I have a fantastic show planned for you. We are looking at two more issues of Journey into Mystery as a part of our throwback Thor's Day series. Today we have two big issues that we're going to cover with Dan the Articulator. Yes, he is back. We are talking the first appearance of Amora the Enchantress and Scourge the Executioner, Journey into Mystery 103 and 104. I do not want to delay any further. These issues are so good that I don't want to spend any more time on the front of the episode. I want you to be able to enjoy everything that we have planned for you. So enjoy these two issues and we will talk at you at the end. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. Okay, listeners, we are here for this week's edition of Throwback Thursday. We are jumping into two amazing issues. I know I say this every week, but truly today, issues 103 and 104 of Journey into Mystery are special. We get some very significant first appearances, and I brought back one of our friends on the podcast who, this is not his first appearance. This is his uh, I think we just did the math. It's his third and a quarter appearance. We brought back Dan, our friend Dan the Articulator, to talk about these two issues of Journey into Mystery. Dan, how the heck are you tonight, man? I'm excited, actually. This is going to be a treat because I actually love the Enchantress, and I don't think I ever read the first appearance of the Enchantress. So thanks for giving me an excuse to do so. <laughs> Anytime. That you know, uh Dan Dan definitely uh just included the the most exciting thing about these few issues that we're gonna cover tonight. We get the first appearance of famed Thor villain, the Enchantress. So uh, she's one of my favorites. I know she's one of Dan's favorites, and hopefully, if you're listening to this right now. Uh, maybe you've heard her name, but maybe you don't know her origin, and we are going to jump into that in just a few minutes. But right now, I'm going to break down some of the some of just the the noteworthy things about these issues before we get into our page by page breakdown. So the first issue we're going to cover tonight is Journey into Mystery number 103. It is entitled very very obviously and overtly the Enchantress and the Executioner. This issue came out in April of 1964 and the synopsis that Marvel gives for this issue is it's it's very heavy on promoting the enchantress so right away it says featuring the enchantress after Odin realizes that he cannot deter Thor's love for Jane Foster he enlists the help of Loki to find an immortal mate for his son enter Amora a beautiful sorceress so deadly that the Asgardians fear her power, will Thor be able to resist the advances of Loki's latest plot? And will Jane Foster stick around after witnessing the Enchantress in action? So we are in April of 1964, uh, quite a while ago, many, many decades. And we have been lately trying to give you more of a context for when these Thor issues, these issues of Journey into Mystery are coming out. So like we've been doing, I want to share a few other issues that were coming out this month in the Marvel Universe in April of 1964. These are very eventful issues, especially for this month. So the first one that really jumped out to me was Fantastic Four, number 25. When the Hulk takes his latest rampage to the streets of New York City, we witness the battle we've been waiting for. The Incredible Hulk versus The Thing again. So big showdown between the Hulk and the thing in the latest issue of fantastic four in this month. We also get amazing Spider-Man number 11, one of Spidey's most notorious foes returns in this issue. We see the return of Dr. Octopus. Then we're, so we mentioned earlier that this is the first appearance of the enchantress. We also this month in Tales of Suspense, number 52, get the first appearance of another famous female in the Marvel Universe. Natasha Romanoff makes her first appearance in 
Tales of Suspense, number 52, alongside Tony. Iron Man faces the Crimson Dynamo, and we see the origin of the original Spider-Woman in the Marvel Universe. So, lots of eventful stuff happening in April of 1964 in Marvel Comics. We did this with Eric last week, and I want to ask Dan. Dan, if I handed you 15 cents and said, go buy a book that is, is not Journey into Mystery, which one of those three issues are you going to pluck off the rack and just you know rifle through until the, the pages are you know falling apart? Which one of those are you going to pick up? It's got to be Spider-Man. I mean, okay. I feel like so many comics of this decade are only, I don't want to say only as interesting, but the villains really make the stories. And Dr. Octopus is the quintessential. I mean, he's Spider-Man's Joker. Like, I kind of, I really would be looking forward to seeing Dr. Octopus coming back and seeing, you know, what his future entails. Because he's, you know, they're clearly at this point, imagine seeing that happen and being like, oh, they're going to set this guy up to be a big Spider-Man villain. So I'm definitely picking up Amazing Spider-Man 11. That's me. So I... I, I love me some Dr. Octopus. Alfred Molina in the second Spider-Man movie was, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Like, I had no idea who Dr. Octopus was before that movie came out because I wasn't really much of a Spider-Man guy. But yeah. when he played that character, I was just like, oh my gosh, who is this villain? And where in the world can I learn more about him? Yeah. Uh, so we're very, very uh, shortly removed from uh, Otto Octavius's origins in Amazing Spider-Man I mean, starts out with so many phenomenal villains. Like, he's only 11 issues in, and, you know, you're already getting multiple appearances of Dr. Octopus. That's, I mean, that's spectacular. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you know, uh, there's so many crossovers of other villains in other comics, and I just, I I really, it's cool when you see that crossover. Like, looking ahead in Journey into Mystery, you'll see some, you know, some hey that's not a thor villain showing up in in thor comics but i like that spider-man really just has his own rogues gallery and i mean it it rivals batman's in my book so i always i love seeing spider-man villains that's just my favorite so i was just about to include that i'm like okay who's got a better rogues gallery spider-man or batman i have asked this question to a group of nerds and (laughs) i have been yelled at for even comparing the two and that really yeah what it's no comparison apparently batman i mean when you think about it batman i guess they kind of convinced me that batman does have a better rogues gallery but i I don't know before i was yelled at and otherwise uh, okay i I felt i was feeling like spider-man you know his baddies can hold their own but okay well (laughs) yikes apparently it's not as debated as i thought it was (laughs) maybe i was just talking to a group of uh dc nerds maybe yeah, I I think I think you were in you were in the wrong place. Uh, so, so these these three issues of 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 Marvel Comics this month really further expand the world that uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are trying to build. Speaking of further building that world, let's jump into the first appearances that we get in Journey into Mystery 103. Two very key historical first appearances. We've talked them up already in our brief you know, little time on this book. But, I mean, really, Amora is an amazing villain, and she, she goes about combating Thor in such a different way that I think really sets her apart from other, um, other more uh, physically gifted Thor uh, villains. So, first appearance of the Enchantress, Amora, is a powerful sorceress. Uh, she's known uh, more m- more regularly as the Enchantress. She's famous for her beauty and infamous for her heartless schemes. She uh, was a sorceress from a young age. She's al- she's also an Asgardian goddess. She grew up uh, to be a really talented and formidable sorceress, and she often. Um, she often uses her powers of uh, of allure and uh, her her beauty to capture both the hearts and the minds of others. So we're obviously going to get more into her character when we uh, go through our page by page breakdown. But Dan, what to you makes Amora such a such a different standout villain that you were excited to to read about this week? I mean, it's like kind of like you said. Thor villains are typically all about brute 
And I, I mean, except, you know, Loki. But yeah, yeah. She is, first of all, a female villain, which, you know, there's not a ton of female villains in the Marvel Universe. Like, if you break it down and kind of compare, you know, the villains versus the heroes in terms of, you know, genders. So I always appreciate just, you know, kind of the standout character in that way, too. And, yeah. And also, you know, like you said, she doesn't need the brute. She has a brute with her. Constantly, yes. In case she needs him. But I like that she can stand on her own and kind of, you know, Thor is strong physically, but at the end of the day, he's a man. And yes. this, is, this has happened time and time and time throughout the comics where he is, you know, it's kind of a, uh, I don't know, there's some tension there that clearly, you know, maybe in a different life they, they would have worked out together. But, you know, at the end of the day, he is an Asgardian male. And, you know, Enchantress is an Asgardian female. And that's a whole different thing in its own. So you could argue that it could be one of his greatest weaknesses. I mean, you know what? I was just going to say that. Is love and temptation one of Thor's? I mean, he's been pining over Jane for like the last 15 issues. Clearly. Yeah. He, I mean, that's clearly there is, he's, you know, he's a softy. Like he's, he's. He's not just, you know, some mindless brute. He actually has emotion and, and compassion for, you know, companionship. And, you know, maybe Enchantress isn't the woman for him. But again, in a different life, maybe it will work out. Maybe. I guarantee you there's an alternate universe story where uh, oh, the Enchantress wins over Thor. Yeah. <laughs> the other, Dan just alluded to the other first appearance that we get in this issue is the Executioner. Otherwise known, later on, known as Scourge. He is a half-giant um, who is m- largely unrivaled by other Asgardians in the ways of war. And he is a, a, you know, starting here in this issue, he's a longtime foe of Thor's and be seen most oftenly with his double-sided axe. Uh, later on, he adopts machine guns and all oh, sorts of that. stuff to fight Thor. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, he is he's better known as the Executioner. Uh, he is uh, seen alongside Amora trying to thwart whatever Thor's got going on. So, uh, Dan, just quick impressions of, of Scourge and uh, who we know in this issue as the Executioner. I mean, really, Scourge and Amora go hand in hand for me. You can't really... They t- have, you, can, you can have one without the other, clearly, because you uh, we had a uh, you know Ragnarok with Scourge and Noamora. I loved Carl. It was so it was so out there in terms of casting, but it worked out. And uh, Scourge is another uh, villain of mine that a villain that I is one of my favorites um, of Thor's. So you know, so I, it's always a treat to see him. And if you want to see more of the Carl Urban kind of comedic. The scourge in comics, you can pick up Beta Ray Bill on stands right now because he's amazing in that. And God, he's my favorite thing about that that comic. So again, such we're definitely going to cover Beta Ray Bill at some point. Oh yes, please, because yeah, he's such a treat in that. But he is, you know, literally his own words, Beta Ray Bill's wingman. After he oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's amazing. The art's amazing. I'm sad it's ending next month, but, you know, it's been a treat to experience that. And it's a treat to go back and uh, experience his first appearance, Silly Helmet and all. Oh, my gosh, yes. Ridiculous. You know what? Let's not waste any time. Let's tell them who was the creative team. And we've we've waxed poetic for far too long. We need to get into this issue because uh, it is truly an awesome, an awesome epic this creative team for this issue uh is the same as last it was written by stan lee the master of fantasy it was illustrated by jack kirby the master of pictodrama it was inked by my absolute favorite name in comics that i've come across so far chick stone and it was lettered (laughs) by sam rosen so if I ever have to legally change my name to something, it will be Chick Stone. Um, I just freaking love that name so much. Uh, so, Dan, let's jump into the first uh, few pages of Journey into Ministry 103. On the cover, 
we see Thor facing off against the Enchantress and the Executioner uh, on board the Bifrost with kind of a um, a classic Jack uh, Jack Kirby cosmic background there. And then the few first pages, we are given a, um, a kind of a sort of off off page recap of Thor returning to the 20th century uh, from his adventure with Zarko in the previous issue we see him transform back into don blake he's weary from uh the, you know the time travel and he falls asleep in his lab jane foster uh continues to pine after him and uh, i love this little thought bubble that jane has as she's laying don blake on the couch she says if only i could do this for him always but though i'm sure he loves me for some strange reason he never suggests marriage yeah. Hmm, that Jane? was very that was very forward of Jane, I think. But I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jane, you keep your forward thought bubbles to yourself. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh, uh, you know, just another progressively written female character from the sixties. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wish I could wait on him hand and foot all the time. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's a it's a little cringy, but again, you just you know take yourself back. This was the sixties, and considering. They were doing pretty good big things. Yes, as we're about to see with the first appearance of Amora, uh, this 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 issue is definitely not for the prudish. Uh, She uh, Amora kind of ramps up the sex appeal of this book by uh, quite quite a few notches. We get to see a recap of uh, Thor's last encounter with Zarko as is sleeping, and then we go to Asgard. Odin is still frustrated that uh, Thor is continuing to seek the heart of Jane Foster. And of course, Loki's right there. Loki's got ideas. He's willing to, he's willing to throw his two cents in there. And Odin being kind of a dumb, dumb, uh, he says, well, well, Hey, what, what are some of your ideas, Loki? And Loki says, Perhaps if Thor meets one who is more beautiful, more desirable, he will forget the mortal girl. And here in Asgard, there is such a one. And of course, Odin, he's like, oh, of course, the Enchantress. He he knows exactly who uh, who the most beautiful woman in Asgard is. Loki goes to Amora and they have an exchange where um, they they determine that she's going to go try and win over Thor uh, and Loki is conspiring with her. So Dan, as we, as we kind of get the setup for this uh, issue, what, what did you think of the first few kind of glimpses and panels of Amora uh, and Loki kind of conspiring together? Um, the costume is not a costume I was familiar with. I mean, it's a, it's so weird seeing her not in green. Um, yeah. First off, I mean, it's kind of green and pinkish kind of yeah, fuchsia. It's, a, it's a green pink kind of uh kind of motif a little bit and then she appears well i don't know if i'm jumping ahead but uh yeah next appearance she's also out of her color so um yeah i, I think uh first of all odin really needs to stop thinking, listening to loki <laughs> yeah loki's been by his side the last like four issues like dude weren't you like chained to a rock like yeah. just a little bit ago yeah like, and We'll get into it in the next issue, but he oh my gosh, continues yes. to listen to Loki. Stop, it, it, it makes Odin kind of look dumb. It does, yeah, uh, and and very uh, very forgiving, but in a, in an ignorant way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we we continue to see uh, Loki and Amora's plan unfold. Amora goes to Earth. And she she goes to a department store where all the latest fashion design. And they're just fawning over her. They just, they actually want to work for her. They want to make her, you know, beautiful dresses and, you know, coats. She jumps into a cab and says, take me to Donald Blake's office. And she shows up at Donald Blake's office and she immediately starts to put the moves on a, uh, in a on a very concentrated Don Blake. And she even tells the, um, she even tells uh, Jane Foster uh, that her name is of no importance and that you you may leave now so that she can put yeah. the moves on Don Blake. She kind of feigns having, you know, problems with her hand and her neck. And then she lays a kiss on Don Blake as Jane is walking back in the door and Jane runs out. 
and uh amora has kind of, she's kind of gotten some stuff to work sorry dan i cut you off right there oh no i just was the uh, adding i just said busted because i mean he, he did get busted and there's a nice big uh onomatopoeia bubble of slam <laughs> walking away or slam the door i guess after seeing that so so jane yeah jane, jane's like okay i've had enough of this and to her credit she's been super patient with this guy yeah for a long time mm-hmm. but amora uh her plan didn't completely work because don doesn't stick around with her he goes after jane so amora adds a wrinkle to her plan she goes back to asgard and she gets the services of her, her big, ugly, strong henchman, the Executioner. So, first glimpses of the Executioner, Dan. Yikes, does he have a mug? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he, he looks like um, they kind of just took him out of, like, a mobster setting. Exactly. And in Asgardian uh, armor. Yeah, he's a uh, mug indeed. <laughs> and we, we find out that he also, he's willing to do anything for Amora. Um, so Amora kind of uses her, her powers of, of allure to get uh, the executioner to go to Earth himself and chase down Jane, where, where then we, we move to a, a long sequence, a long fight scene between Thor and the executioner, where the executioner actually uses his axe to cut open a portal to send Jane into a limbo area to, to it's halfway between, you know, this world and, and some other kind of holding place. And then Thor and the executioner go to their battle. So this, this battle starts to unfold. Dan, um, we see Thor and the executioner go, uh, go one-on-one. What I'm, I kind of felt like this fight was a little different um, than previous fights that he's had because uh, the executioner has the axe, which also has some magical properties to it. Mm-hmm. He's able to do a lot um, that Thor is also able to do with his hammer. I just felt like the this was a kind of an equal fight uh, up until you know, obviously the, the climax. What did you think of this f- first uh, first encounter between Thor and the executioner? Oh, it was exactly what I was hoping to see. Just you know, classic. Kirby fight scenes and then oh my was, gosh it's it actually really cool to see that um the executioner had you know ice powers on his axe yes know, akin to thor and his thunder so or lightning and uh i don't know that was uh that was honestly news to me i don't know if that's something that has come back but i certainly haven't seen it um but yeah and can i just say it was a little excessive yeah. for amora to send the executioner and as guardian executioner after a, a mortal Woman. yeah it's it, a little bit of overkill yeah yeah um, a little bit amora definitely seems like a, like a woman you don't want to spurn or mess with um so yeah. she's like hey he rejected me after that one kiss go kill his girlfriend yeah that was Just, that was a little intense but uh you know what she'll get hers eventually eventually know, yes so when uh, she's with me but anyway <laughs> <laughs> spoilers dan uh oh, so um we uh we then get to see a turn in the fight where the executioner and thor get into more of a conversation and the executioner tries to make a deal with thor uh where he uses jane as uh, as like uh, leverage that um if, if thor will drop the hammer the executioner will bring Jane back from limbo and Thor knows that the executioner is not going to be able to lift a hammer. So he kind of plays the executioner for a fool uh, because uh, their physical fight uh, didn't end in a decisive winner. And then Amora comes back and she gets pissed that the executioner did not finish the job and starts like turning him into like a, like a, a stone man, but also like a tree for arms. It was, it was bizarre. Um, and uh, they, the uh, Asgardian uh, villains, they, they say they're going to defeat Thor, but they end up getting sent back across the Bifrost to Asgard. Uh, so the, the climax here, Dan, what did you think about the kind of the twist on this, where the executioner tried to, he tried to kind of play Thor for the fool, and then Amora comes back, um, only to be beaten by Thor. What did you think of the climax of this issue's uh, conflict? 
Uh, well, first of all, it was adorable when Thor was holding the hammer, kind of like a little kid, like he didn't want to give it up. When uh, <laughs> yes, he was kind of like saying, "Give me your hammer, and then I'll let you, you know, have Jane back." And he kind of had like this look on his face, like, "No, it's my hammer. I don't want to give it to you." <laughs> Definitely going to put that up on our social media. The listener right is now can see that. So the picture, if there's one picture from this that's shared, it's got to be that one. It's but, Thor's like pouty face. Exactly. But, but also. Uh, I love the, um, I kind of miss the element of Thor needing to have his hammer at all times. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of, I mean, and this is very old school, but it's, you know, there is an Achilles heel for for everybody just about. And that is, and, you know, they they always seem to kind of throw that in there. Well, like, oh, I threw my hammer this far, you know, I got to get it before, you know, I, I I'm away from it too far. Otherwise, I'm going to uh, you know turn back into Don Blake. And they kind of they threw that in here with you know letting Scourge kind of take his time and and Thor basically humoring him and trying to pick up the hammer. And he picks it up with uh, seven seconds, picks it back up with seven seconds to spare. So you know that's kind of you know '60s on the edge of your seat comic reading. You know, if you think about it, like that's, you know, these are new elements and, you know, Stanley was doing a lot of new things at the time and they seem maybe a little tried at this day, day and age, but this was, you know, kind of state of the art stuff at the time that people, this is what drew people to Marvel Comics. So I, you know, that, I, I don't want to say that I miss that element, but it's cool to see it in action for its time, you know. No, I I've, I completely agree with you. It, it It makes every issue kind of feel like it has stakes. Mm-hmm. And, and and like, hey, m- maybe, maybe this time Thor doesn't, you know, succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to like build in a um, a a a, a tension, not just with like a physical villain, but also tension with you know how his powers even work. Yeah. Um, so I completely agree with that. We see, uh, you know, as the as the villains are disposed back to Asgard. We see Thor return, and he runs back into Jane, and Jane is immediately kind of a little, a little put off by him because uh, last time she saw Don Blake, he was he was uh, macking on this like blonde, you know, this blonde woman in a in a dress in their in the middle of their office, and um, we see them walk away, and Don says he's gonna, you know, he he'll explain it when he can, and Odin. We get a little clip of Odin back in Asgard, and uh, you'll never guess. He's still kind of mad. So um, (laughs) my favorite little bit of this last page is when Don shows back up, Jane's thought or Jane's word bubble is done in ice. Yes. That's in my notes because I love that so much. Uh, Because you don't, you know, the the thought bubbles are changing constantly throughout the entire but they don't change shape. This is the only one that's not a square or a oh. circle, and it is in the shape of like an icy, craggly. You it's know, so, it's so genius. So, yeah, that was that was great. Uh, you know, I wish they still did stuff like that. You know, the the line the line she says, you can almost hear how she says it. Mm-hmm. By the way, the bubble is drawn, and you know it's tinted blue. And she says, "Well, if it isn't Doctor Blake, because you know." red flag right there she usually calls him don if she's trying to be nice like mm-hmm. well if it isn't dr blake how's your new blonde girlfriend in all bold doctor and then it's just it's written in ice i'm like from from an art point of view like mm-hmm. that is just a phenomenal choice by jack kirby and the inkers as artists that it, it communicates so much by like that they don't tell us they don't tell us that Jane is pissed at him. They show us that she's pissed at him. Right. Like it's just, you know, it's a it's a very small thing that you might go you go right by, but I think it speaks to Jack Kirby literally using every part of the panel to communicate the feelings of the characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a shame to think of how many how that may have went over so many people's heads. So, I think that's why we're championing it so much right now because it's such a exactly. detail that like you know, that that was just really clever of them. Again, you know, this is a comic from the 60s. You know, they were doing the most at that time and doing the most of what they could and their, and their resources at the time. And, you know, just the little thing of drawing a talk bubble looking like a, with ice, icy crags and, you know, icicles on it just to communicate. She was speaking to him coldly is just 
I don't know. That's cool and should be appreciated. Yeah, I, I think I think so. Just as we finish up issue one hundred three of Journey into Mystery, I want to like just my 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 final thought on this, and then Dan, I'll, I'll let you jump in here with kind of your final thoughts on on this issue. I think sometimes when people look back on these sixties and maybe even some seventies comics they can maybe say like, oh, well, everything's done so overtly. Everything's done so obviously, like, you know, like we're dummies reading this. And, you know, it, almost like there's there's no nuance in these comics. This is an example. And I'm going to go back to this this talking bubble that, you know, Dan and I have now ranted on for about three minutes. Um, <laughs> this, this, this speech bubble is an example of how even in these early issues where they're very overt with things and they tell you everything that's going to happen, Jack Kirby and Stanley added in a little bit of nuance, a, li a little bit of flavor in not only what they were presenting, but how they chose to present it. So that's just kind of my final thought about uh, 103 and, you know, the fact that the Enchantress and the Executioner are finally here and we get to see them in this book now uh dan what were kind of your your final thoughts about issue 103 oh I, again it was just a treat to see enchantress and and scourge for the first time you know yeah and it couldn't have been you know for a more kind of uh, better reason which was you know odin doesn't want thor and jane together anymore so he sends a super villain potential wife after him you know that what's what Odin hopes to be, you know, potentially mother for Thor, and, and in the form of a supervillain. It's the most Odin move ever. Yeah, it is very. I mean, yeah, we can talk all day about <laughs> Odin's uh, choices on how he raises his parenting time. styles. But yeah, I mean, he's yeah, type A nurse narcissist. <laughs> he's a type A narcissist. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well. Let's let the narcissism train roll on into Journey into Mystery 104. This issue is entitled Giants Walk the Earth. And speaking of Odin, we get a lot of Odin in this issue. Um, we get uh, some maybe some some significant things from Odin um, that we haven't seen him do yet. So this issue of Journey into Mystery came out in May of 1964. And the synopsis from Marvel goes something like this. Loki berates his lackeys, the Enchantress and the Executioner, for failing to disarm Thor. On Midgard, Thor encounters Skag, a massive storm giant that escaped Asgard after being after getting past Baldur. Now, Thor and Baldur must defeat Skag and his fire demon before the mortal for mortal life is lost. So this month in Marvel, in May of 1964, some other books that were coming out on the same stands as this issue of Journey into Mystery. We get to see more from X-Men, more from Avengers, and from the Fantastic Four, the three issues that really jumped out. X-Men number five. Let's just get a brief synopsis of that issue. Abducted to Asteroid M, Magneto's got an X-Man in the clutches and a team of underlings waiting for the rescue party. So uh, another uh, Magneto-heavy story. We get a lot of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and I believe Angel is the one that is held in the clutches of the Brotherhood in that issue. We also get Avengers number five. The Lava Men have a burning desire to conquer the world, and it's up to the Avengers to stop them. This issue guest stars the Hulk. So uh, if you've been listening to these throwback Thor's days, the Lava Men may sound familiar to you as uh, about uh, eight, nine issues back, we got an issue where Thor fights the Lava Man. And now the Lava Man is back to fight not only Thor, but his Avengers co-workers. Uh, then Fantastic Four number 26. This issue is, uh, my goodness, I can imagine this one sold very well back mm -hmm. in the day because about everybody is in this book. The Hulk continues his rampage through New York City, but the Avengers have arrived to challenge their former member. Can the FF and the Earth's Mightiest Heroes work together to stop the Jade Giants? So we get to see in that issue the Fantastic Four and the Avengers team up to stop the Incredible Hulk. Okay, Dan, 
I'm giving you 15 cents. You got to go get one of these books. Which one of these big star-studded team books are you going to grab? Honestly, before I hear I heard you break all of them down, I would have went with the X-Men because uh, Magneto is my favorite uh, Marvel villain, period. Okay. But I think you just sold me on Fantastic Four 26. Oh, wow. That, that Yeah, because, you know, that is a kind of star-studded issue, isn't it, with the Fantastic Four or Avengers? And, it's got know, everybody but the X-Men. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Hulk was, like you said, Hulk sold books back then. Everybody loved the Hulk. And you can see that he's guest starring in Avengers, and he's also still rampaging in this in this issue. And last month, he was, uh, I believe, he was appearing against the Fantastic Four versus the Thing. So yes, he was. I think you might have sold me on Fantastic Four twenty six. Well, I, I I'm glad I sold you on a book fifty seven years late. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, remember. it's 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 really awesome to see how, again. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and all the creators at Marvel at the time, they're, they're, they're crossing the, the streams of this Marvel universe so effortlessly. And they're crossing over to build this larger world on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Like the, the incredible Hulk at this point, he's not a, um, he's not only a Avenger. In fact, it even says here that he's a former member of the Avengers, which they're in issue five of Avengers. I don't know if you can be a former member, uh, you know, that early on in the run. That seems kind of nuts. But um, we we have three great issues here. I think, yeah, I would go with Fantastic Four number twenty six as well. That just, you know, it kind of ticks all the boxes. You get to see, you know, uh, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, Giant Man, Wasp, and Thor team up with the FF. To take on Hulk, you know, hey, Stan Lee, you got my money. Just take it. Yeah, um, yeah fantastic uh, collaboration there. This is, uh, let's jump to our first appearances. Uh, not really any um, anything uh, significant here for first appearances. This is the only appearance of Skag, the Storm Giant, uh, which, uh, Dan, I got to get your thoughts. Is Skag like an intimidating name or is it just the worst name for it sounds gross to me it sounds like scab yeah uh, it, i i yep <laughs> that's not a name for a giant but you know we did get Surtur too but he was also in different form i think than we're used to seeing so uh, okay i i did a little research on this because i was like okay the you know in my research it was like this you know this issue of journey and mystery was not Surtur's first appearance and i was like well where the heck was his first appearance then? Did I just completely miss this? Mm-hmm. His first appearance was in the first Tales of Asgard story. Yeah. So, you know, he appears very briefly in that. And he we even get to see a fight between him and Odin in one of those stories, which I mentioned this last week, listeners. If you are uh, if you are one of the one of the people out there waiting for me to cover Tales of Asgard, I have got a fantastic big project in the works right now for that. So be sure to uh, keep a look on your podcast feed and, and we will cover Tales of Asgard at some point. Creative, the creative team. I'm going to read it in the Stanley hyperbole way. Uh, the creative team. This is a tale so powerful, powerful in concept, so dramatic in scope that only the inspired talent of Stan Lee could have written it. Only the gifted hand of Jack Kirby could have illustrated it. Again, inked by uh, my hero and yours, Chick Stone, and lettered by uh, Sam Rosen. So, just a few notes uh, beforehand. Um, like I said, uh, it's the only appearance of Skag. This is not Surtur's first appearance. And uh, we get to see kind of the fallout of issue 103 here on the first few pages. So, let's jump into number 104 when giants uh when giants walk the earth so first page we get to see uh kind of loki be really frustrated with uh the enchantress and the executioner uh loki even says on the first page of the of the issue my plan was perfect and yet you bungled it thor outsmarted the two of you and Amora even responds with, the mighty Thor is more powerful and more wiser than you su- you, su- you suspect, Loki. Uh, Loki responds with, bah, 
out of my sight, both of you. I will listen to no more, no more talk. None are wiser or craftier than Loki. So Loki uh, plays very heavily into this issue, but he's very frustrated right now. We jump to Odin, and Odin has a few uh, speech bubbles in here that uh, really just continue to deepen his frustration with Thor. And Loki is right there speaking, you know, his, speaking his lies into Odin's ear. And we get kind of the crux of the of the issue. We're going to see Odin go to Earth because Loki uh, Loki suggests this. You have but one course to take, noble Odin. You yourself must go to Earth and assert your authority in person. Odin says, I visit Earth after all these ages? By Asgard, your suggestion, your suggestion strikes my fancy. And, and, and now we're going to get to probably Dan and I's biggest frustration with this issue. Shall I do it? And by my absence, I invest in you with a portion of my power. Loki, you shall rule Asgard till my return. The, I don't understand. In one panel, he is literally saying to his face, I have to go help my favorite son. And then giving him part of his power and then just leave it, leaving him through that. I, that I just don't think that he's uh, fit for king. Odin. Uh, <laughs> that, That's it. There needs to be some kind of discussion while he's on Earth as to uh, what we're going to do when Odin gets back and the kind of conversation that needs to be had <laughs> with his choices. I, I, so, okay, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna take a little bit of a, a of a comeuppance with the writing here. How in the world does this logically make sense? Mm. That Loki has legitimately uh had four at this point four major appearances where he has gone to earth and tried to cause you know he's caused mischief all over the world at this point he's tried to end thor so many different times and odin is so willing to give him power after loki has been punished so many times here why in the world does this make sense or, or I just, almost, just not, and we're going to you know, gloss over it. I almost kind of think it, and maybe I'm being an apologist for the writing. I, I do agree that this is, this is not the best, you know, to see this over and over again is a little ridiculous. But it also kind of makes you think, is it that Loki is getting in Odin's ear and taking advantage of the fact that Odin is so self? Yeah. Know, so, like self-assuring of himself that like, yeah, yeah. Loki's kind of maybe getting in the back of his head and, and giving him the faintest idea of something where Odin could grab hold of it and be like, oh, that was my idea to do that. It, it kind of okay. feels like maybe that's what's happening. Again, maybe I'm reaching, but that's the only way that I can make sense of it. And that's the only way that, you know, you can kind of continue to go through this and, and make sense of why this keeps happening. Because Loki just plays into Odin just enough to where he's giving him the, he's planting the seed of these ideas and Odin's taking it and very quickly nurturing it into a giant tree of, you know, this is what I'm going to focus on in this issue of Thor, basically. Because that's, that, you know, you know yeah. what? I, just like I talked you into uh, Fantastic Four 26, I think you've talked me into that idea yeah. that. Loki is such a such a tactful trickster that he can even convince Odin to give him power that he definitely does not deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know what? You know what? I'm on board with that, Dan. I like that. I like that. I mean, we'll again. That's the it's the only way that we can go on without you know ripping our eyebrows out, basically <laughs> trying it's to like... make sense of why this keeps happening to Asgard. <laughs> And, and listener if you are thinking like guys come on this comic came out like 50 plus years ago it's like well we weren't podcasting back then right so yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gonna rip it apart now so this is you know we'll, we'll iron it out and move on yeah so <laughs> let's jump back in we see jane and don blake kind of a. uh they're both they're both pretty exhausted jane gets sent home for the day and thor goes about the city kind of you know checking things out uh he even suspects that um that he he has to stay vigilant as long as loki is still alive you know he never knows what loki could be up to we jump to a shabby section of town as the issue says 
and we see a bunch of muggers try um, attack this uh, white bearded man in a in a large green suit, and instantly the the muggers are are thwarted, and um, they cannot deal with this old man, and it's clearly Odin in uh, in a uh, Earth disguise. Jump back to Asgard real quick. And Loki is going a little power mad. He's going a little power hungry with this, you know, this ounce of Odin force that he's got. And he releases Skag and Surtur to deal with Odin, to deal with Thor once and for all so that he can rule Asgard uh, for all time. And we at the, at the bottom of, uh, of this page five, Loyal Heimdall, guardian of the Rainbow Bridge, whose ears are the sharpest in the universe, hears Loki's incantations, and he sends Balder the Brave to uh, respond to this uh, danger to let Thor and Odin know that Surtur uh, and Skag are on their way. So, things here, um, we get to see Odin appear on Earth for the first time, um, mm-hmm. definitely out of his element. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I will say, um, even just in the plain clothes, he you can tell it sums up with this guy. Um, and I, you know, I think the muggers caught on to that. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just love the, the choice that they went with, with, um, you know, Odin's uh, earthwear, because it's just it's very Odin. And there's a lot of costume changes that you can see. I think, you know, he might have prepared for this. I just, I, I picture that, like, he kind of, like, <laughs> maybe stopped off and, and maybe Loki advised him on what to wear while he was there. I mean, he's wearing green after all, but, yeah. Um, it, it does resemble the, the outfit that Loki has worn on Earth a few times. Mm-hmm. That is kind of odd. I didn't, I didn't even put that together. That's yeah. good. The, uh, we also get the first, the first real spotlight of Balder in this issue as, as Balder is the one that's sent from Asgard to earth to, to warn Odin and Thor of what is coming. So just the, like first impressions of getting to see Balder in a story. Yeah. I mean, uh, Balder plays big into, you know, Thor, Thor's miso- mythos, you know, going down the line and uh, you know, it is kind of cool to see him, uh, Loki's pulling from you know the nine realms to kind of wreak havoc on Earth, and and Balder and Heimdall are doing their own thing to be able to kind of back up Thor. So you got, I I, I really like when you know the more Asgardian elements and you know nine el, you know the nine realm elements mix into Midgard, and, you know yeah going on there. So you know I welcome Balder to help out here. Uh, yeah, for sure. Speaking of Balder, we see him arrive in New York City. He warns Thor that um, that the Earth is in gravest danger. In Odin's absence, evil Loki has freed Surtur and Skag, and uh, Thor and he r- r- go off to uh, Don Blake's office because they suspect Odin will go there first. Then on uh, on page seven, we get to see Odin come into the office of Don Blake and a. <laughs> Just a really funny little like, uh, like, why would you say this walking in a door? Uh, Jane says, sorry, sir, there are others ahead of you. Like, like he's there for an appointment. And Odin says, silence, foolish woman. It's like, I feel like you're taking out a little bit of your frustration on her. She she didn't do anything to you, man. I think, yeah, Odin, you know, again, we could talk about Odin and and, him. all day about how he treats people but uh yeah you can see that on full display here and just how he walks into a doctor's office and just tells somebody basically to shut up (laughs) odin uh and and thor uh thor flies in the window uh uh in the the back office and uh odin is able to uh he gets on board with the fact that skag and surter are headed to earth and um in order to uh, how, do, how do I say this? In, in order to uh, mitigate kind of the the damage that will be done, Odin does something that is so freakishly powerful that I feel like um, <laughs> if it were to happen in a comic nowadays, it would be like, oh, that was like the spotlight of the month. Mm-hmm. But Odin is able to transform, transport everybody on Earth 
to it like a pocket dimension so that nobody's hurt as he and Thor face off with Surtur and Skag. This bottom panel on page seven is so crazy. Like it's so cool. You yeah. get all of mankind is like in this um in this like beam of like of I don't know it's 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 like a, a funnel uh just bringing everybody into this pocket dimension so they don't get hurt and you see people you know from all different you know parts of the world in this panel just stellar Kirby stuff right here on on this panel yeah absolutely I mean he he nobody does face like Kirby and he does you get a little bit of the you know what you can what you would see basically the entire population of Earth leaving what yeah like it was such a cool. such a good panel mm-hmm. um we go back to the conflict between thor odin balder and skag initially we see balder and balder and skag actually fight first and balder is able to destroy skag's uh big club that he says i believe is like 10 10 10 tons or something like that yeah it's a 10 ton war club that he sh- that balder shatters and then Skag is still able to use the uh, the handle of the club to you know, summon like a typhoon uh, wind, a giant water spout to try and fight off Thor and Balder. And we we see Surtur get into the fight. He throws a giant fireball at Thor's hammer, which knocks uh, Thor into the water. And then we see Odin join the fight for the first time in these main stories. Odin uh, proclaims, it is time for Odin himself to enter the battle. First, I command the bed of the sea to soften beneath the feet of Skag. So then we see Skag start to sink to the bottom of the ocean while uh, Surtur goes off to the uh, to the Arctic. He's got plans up near the Arctic Circle while Skag tries to uh, summon a storm big enough to uh, start to demolish uh, the world slowly. Uh, so, Dan, we, we, we get this, you know, the, the start of the conflict between Surtur, Skag, and the, the Asgardians. Uh, this is a kind of a different fight because we, we see giant, huge, like uh, world-sized villains try and attack Thor and Odin. So what did you think of you know, getting to see Balder and Thor and Odin fight, you know, Skag and, and Surtur? I mean, again, I, I just love elements from the other nine realms coming to Earth. And, yes. You know, kind of wreaking havoc like that. You know, we have Nosfelheim's uh, Surtur, which I have to mention, he's drawn yes. a little differently than we're kind of used to see. He just looks like a little fire goblin in this. <laughs> he's got like a pot belly. And uh, again, <laughs> we've seen Ragnarok, We and we've seen Surtur in more recent comics. He is a towering, massive, intimidating fire demon. And seeing him in this as just a little goblin with a little fire pick, almost... Oh my it's, gosh! It's, it, it's it's so funny. Just it's not intimidating. <laughs> no, it's not intimidating. I you know imagine seeing this and then fifty years later, that's the same guy in the movie in the beginning of Ragnarok, <laughs> and then at the end of Ragnarok where he's towering over Asgard. Yeah. So you know, I thought that was super interesting, and also the fact that Surtur's plan is to enact global warming. Oh my gosh! Yes, how progressive of an yeah. idea. <laughs> and that's kind of where I was getting at before. In that, you know, for every for every you know uh, instance where you get you know Jane being shown as this you know feeble woman, you you do have the, these moments of seeing Stanley's you know how ahead of the times he was and acknowledging that is that it's something that could happen. And that is a threat to the earth and, you know, also his inclusion of other, you know, heroes and stuff like that. But uh, I just loved seeing that because nobody was thinking about that back then. Oh, gosh. No. And you can see it on full display on a Thor, in a Thor comic, you know, by the ruler of Muspelheim. So I thought that was really cool and definitely a sense of urgency. And I, I wonder how many people maybe read that as a kid. And maybe that stuck with them. It's like, oh, and then, you know, years later when it's an active threat, you know, people, I don't wonder how many people maybe like, oh yeah, I read that in a Thor comic when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. It was complete fantasy back then. And we're like, oh yeah. no. Yeah. 
exactly. This got too real, man. Yeah. Uh, so we head towards the, the climax of the fight between uh, the Asgardians and uh, the, the, the villains, uh, the storm giant Skag and the fire demon Surtur. Surtur, like Dan just said, is flying off to the Arctic Circle to enact a, uh, a global warming crisis. And we see Thor and, and Balder try to fight through the hurricane force winds that Skag is producing, while Odin creates a protective shield around the city so that uh, no further dam- da- damage is done. Odin flies into battle and he's able to uh, fell Skag with you know, one one blow, even with Loki replenishing Skag's power as Thor and as Odin is draining his power, kind of simultaneously they're they're fighting, uh, they're fighting through uh, through Skag. But Odin wins. Skag is defeated, and Odin is uh, he he's down. He's not he's not dying, but he's definitely uh, losing his strength. And Thor is comforting him, but then he has to go off to uh, face Surtur in the Arctic. And here is the part of the issue that, Dan, I might need you to explain a little bit to me. So <laughs> Surtur is flying off to the Arctic Circle, but then all of a sudden his trajectory changes and he flies up and out of the galaxy uh, that, that we're in to this magnetic asteroid. I, you so, might have to explain that one to me. Honestly, in my notes, I put magnets question mark. I don't know. <laughs> magnets question mark. Uh, I know that uh, asteroids have, you know, magnetic elements inside of them. I don't know. Again, this, this maybe this is some science that's going over the both of our heads. But yeah, I yeah, definitely. The, the effort and depth that, you know, Stanley maybe went to try and, you know, make sense of this. Uh, but honestly, it, it doesn't... I guess maybe because Surtur is also big, maybe they're trying to say that he got wrapped in the uh, magnetic or the gravitational pull of the asteroid that was passing by. Sure. Which, which <laughs> again, I could be reaching, but that is the only thing that could make sense to me. So basically, Surtur's launched into space and gets caught into the gravitational pull of an asteroid. That's how I interpret it. Okay, that, that makes a lot more sense. I was just like, okay, I don't know why this is happening. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of had that magnets question mark thought as well. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the end of the issue, we know that Surger's taken care of, Skag is taken care of, and we, we get back to um, Don Blake and Jane. Uh, Don goes back into the office and he says, uh, sorry for being so late. Uh, Jane says, no need. Uh, no need to be rushed, Doctor. Actually, it's been a very quiet day here, which is uh, which is funny because uh, everybody was everybody was in a pocket dimension. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been really quiet, Jane. Good good job, Jane. Um, then just <laughs> as we close out this issue, uh, uh, Odin has to deal with Loki. Uh, so Odin says to Loki that Heimdall has told me of your treachery, Loki. You will serve the trolls until I set you free. Now go, unfaithful one. And he sulks and just kind of looks really sad. He's got to go help the trolls out. But That's so funny. Go serve the trolls. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's the worst punishment that you could give him, is just help out another type of person or type <laughs> of yeah we, we 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 your punishment loki is go help someone it's like yeah. oh no this is the freaking worst right and it says until he sees you know until he sets him free which I, i'm guessing is not going to be too long it's probably just like the, the equivalent of being grounded so it, like it but you know just wait till the next time odin needs to you know leave town for something he's like you know Loki's learned his lesson. He's not yeah. rotten to the core, you know. Hey, hey, Loki, do you want all of the Odin Force? Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Easier than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Next time on Journey into Mystery, which is now Thor. But yeah. Yes. Uh, so, Dan, any final thoughts for Journey into Mystery 104? Um, honestly, it was uh, it's interesting to see Surtur make his first appearance the way that he did in this. Um, yes. But again, it was cool to just get a you know, you got Balder, you got Heimdall, you got Odin and Thor fighting alongside each other and against, you know, elements from the other nine realms, you know, and with Loki at the helm of everything. Uh, 
this is this is a good issue for just if you like those elements of Thor coming to Earth, you know, and not just you know, Thor fights the you know the Juggernaut or something like that. Yeah, know? this is this is you get a little big a good sized clump of Thor mythos on Earth, and you know, it's good. yeah, I, I feel like we got a lot of Asgardian value here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that does it, uh, listeners, for issues 103 and 104 of Journey into Mystery. Dan, thank you for joining us for this week's uh, Throwback Thursday, man. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Absolutely. We will see you down the road. That does it for the show today, everybody. I hope you enjoyed these two issues of Journey into Mystery. Some significant first appearances and some great stories. I hope you also enjoyed having Dan back on the show. We try to get him on here as uh, often as we can because Dan is a great part of uh, the little community that Across the Bifrost has been starting to gain and grow with. So thanks again for Dan joining us today. If you would please go to iTunes and Spotify, follow the show, rate and review us on iTunes so that more people can jump aboard the Rainbow Bridge with us, with me, with you, with the rest of our crew that we have here at Across the Bifrost. That would be great. Thank you for going the extra mile. Until we meet you again aboard the Rainbow Bridge, I want to always remind you to stay worthy.